I'll open your Bibles. Um, I don't want to make more, more of that. I'll open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. We are going to start a uh, study through the book of 2 Thessalonians, as Chris has already alluded to this morning. And uh, if you are not already familiar with this, I'm guessing most of you are pretty familiar with this since you've, most of you have been to church here for uh, some time. But if you're not familiar with this, this is what I typically would do. I haven't done this since we returned from sabbatical. I uh, just had a bunch of other things that were kind of falling in place and doing some other series, some topical series, uh, Christmas time and those kind of things. But what I love to do, what I think the Lord has asked me to do primarily above everything else, is to simply teach through the Word of God in a systematic fashion. And so we spend a lot of time doing that. Um, we've preached through a number of books. Some of them are longer. Some of them are shorter. This one is going to be on the shorter side. I don't think it will take us very long. In fact, I think soon after Easter, we, shall, we should probably be done with this unless uh, something pops up that uh, is, I'm, I'm not aware of or is not going not to come through. But, uh, and really, I chose 2 Thessalonians. Uh, again, if some of you pay attention to these kind of things, you may not. But um, I'm a pretty regimented guy. I'm a pretty, like, I do things, I don't know, I keep things sort of organized in order as much as I can. And I often like to do sort of a New Testament book and then an Old Testament book and kind of bounce back and forth. It's a lot easier to teach out of the New Testament. I don't know if you know that or not. It's a lot easier to teach out of the New Testament, uh, specifically if you're looking for, uh, you know, being able to teach theologically as well as make application. Uh, so the Old Testament books sometimes are, they're, they're different because they're narrative and so they're different to teach from. I decided this time since it had been a gap since I last uh, preached through a book, and the last book I preached through, I don't know if you remember this or not, but the last book I preached through was 1 Thessalonians. So it seems to make sense to me, and uh, I think that's where the Lord was leading me. So uh, to just follow up and, 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 and do another short series of 2 Thessalonians, I don't actually know where we'll go after this. So um, you can be praying that the Lord would, would lead me and uh, show me which book of the Bible he wants to go to next. Before we jump in this morning, I've entitled my sermon, The Seed of Faith, which may be odd because we're going into a new book, which typically I spend an entire sermon on, on introduction. We're going to try to bring in some introduction, some loose back to First Thessalonians. But before we uh, jump in, I'd like to just read these few verses from Matthew chapter 31. In Matthew 31, the Bible says this, that he, Jesus, put another parable before them and he said this, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, Hopefully, we'll find some way to weave that text into the text reading today by God's grace. Follow along now in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to read the first four verses this morning and uh, spend some time with them. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. 
Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for Thessalonian believers. Thank you for Paul and Silas and Timothy. Thank you for the word that has been preserved to us, the word that you inspired by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that it has meaning and import and instruction and application, and it is wise, it is fitting for us to complete us, to make us thoroughly equipped. It is uh, good for correction, for, for training in righteousness, for, for exhortation and encouragement. It is good for all those things. Thank you that the word that you wrote and inspired, uh, had inspired to have written all those years ago to those believers in that location still applies to us today still has meaning for us, still has weight for us, still deserves our utmost attention. For truly, truly God, if it is as your word says that without vision we perish or we cast off restraint, but we are happy when we are walking according to your ways, according to your laws, according to your word. Truly, if that is is what is reality, and by God's grace this morning, we humble ourselves before you to say that is reality. And if that's the case, then your word here deserves us to look carefully into it, to find out how we might and ought to live. We give you praise, God, for we ask you to teach us, and you do so faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, if you're used to this, if you want to follow along, I have a handout on the back side of the bulletin there that you should be able to take some notes. I try to do my best to get all the scripture references that I'm going to use either on the screen or read uh, there, and I try to make it so you can have some room to take some notes. Sometimes I fail at one or both of those. Sometimes I make mistakes, but hopefully it's a tool to keep you engaged. If, by the way, it becomes a distraction and you're just doodling and not paying attention, then just put it aside and don't pay attention to it. It's meant to engage you, and some people engage by writing down and taking notes. Some people engage by just looking. Some people engage by doing, I don't know, fiddling with something. And if that's you, that's fine. Just try not to distract your neighbor when you do that. Paul, Silas, and Timothy writing to these believers. I've chosen this morning to uh, structure our message around three sets of couplets, three sets of two pairs of words, if that's not too too many layers to try to, to make sense. The, the, the words come in two pairs, and they come three, three times. They come in this text. They're actually going to come some more in the next text, which is we're going to use the same thing, I think, next week, as far as I know at this point. But to, to arrange uh, our conversation around these pairs of words, the first pair of words is those two words, grace and peace. Of course, it's found in the opening line that Paul gives to this letter. To the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you may not remember back this far. I don't know. It must have been almost a year ago now when I, we started our study of 1 Thessalonians. But Paul opens up his first letter to the Thessalonians in almost identical tone. In fact, it's almost word for word. The only thing I can see that is of any difference is that he repeats that phrase from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ or in God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. He repeats that phrase at the end of both lines. In other words, he gives his greeting or who it's to, and then he also says grace and peace. We spend a lot of time in that first message of 1 Thessalonians talking about grace and peace in those two words. So I'm not going to spend as much time today. However, I would like to point something out. If you notice, you might say he was redundant in using that phrase, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, in two lines in a row. Like, why would he do that? However, a careful inspection helps us see that there is a small difference in those two verses. Let me just show them to you. He says, as he, as he says who he's writing to, he says, to the church of the Thessalonians, that gives you location, it gives you all those things, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I underlined the pertinent word there. For the next verse, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the church he's writing to is in the sphere of or in the power of. That's what that word means there, the word in, in the first verse. In the sphere of or in the presence of or in the power of God. That's where the church dwells. That's where the body of Christ dwells. But the second verse, when he says grace to you and peace from, he's now saying that God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are the source of these things. You see the distinction? One is where you're residing. So if I'm talking to you this morning, you are the church that is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in the sphere of God. You're in the power of God. You're in the presence of God. That's where you belong. However, when I talk to you and say, I want to extend grace to you and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, then it is the source of you are resting in them, but they are the source of those things. Now, this is not a major point in the sermon necessarily. However, I might pause for a moment and just ask you, this is always applicable. This, is, this always means something. It must. Otherwise, there's no reason for you to sit here. I'm not trying to chase you away from church. I'm trying to be honest with you. There's no reason for you to sit here if it, if it doesn't mean something, if it's not supposed to somehow take some root or form or fashion in our life. So I ask you, do you need grace in your life? Do you need peace in your life? Then make no mistake. The scripture is clear. Where should you go to find that grace and that peace that you need? You should go to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For they are the source of those things. By the way, this has, again, it's not a main point. I'm not going to make it a main point. But you could do well to, to think about this as long as the Lord holds your mind and heart there. Because the reality is we look for peace in so many other places. And, and try to find it in so many other ways in our culture, in our own lives, in our homes, and in our, within ourselves. So in one little line that Paul wrote out to some believers hundreds of years ago... He is also giving us incredible instruction that if you want grace in your life, if you want peace in your life, there is only one place to go, and that is to God, and that is to Jesus. Notice he's holding them separate but equal, distinct but equal. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, by way of reaching back and making connections and giving us just a brief overview of the letter we're going to walk into, because we should do this on an introductory message, I want to uh, just remind you, I told you, I think, when, I think I told you this, when Paul wrote the first letter to the Thessalonians, it is, as far as we can tell, one of the earliest Christian writings that exist. It was written before the Gospels. It was written before almost all of, as far as I know, it's the first of Paul's letters. So it's one of the earliest writings that we have at all that's written down of to New Testament believers. And as near as we can tell, this second letter came within a year or two of the first one. I don't know how much you remember, but, but they, they, they were in Thessalonica. Uh, you can read about this in Acts chapter 17. I think it's right around there. I should have jotted it down. I think it's Acts 17. Um, they were in Thessalonica. They were not able to spend as long as they would have liked to. They got chased out. And after, after struggling with whether this, this seed of faith took root or not, Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. And he sends this first letter. That's what we studied last year. Now, apparently, from the, the, the content of the letter, apparently, there was a few things that he said in that letter that were either misunderstood or misapplied or just needed further clarification. 
So I would tell you, just giving a little bit of an overview, I would tell you that in this second letter, here are some of the big picture themes that we're going to find. Mostly what Paul wants to do is to correct or clarify about one thing. Now, there's lots of other things in there, but about one thing particularly, and that's the return of Christ. He mentions it. If you remember in 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5, he mentions and talks a lot about the day of the Lord and the return of Christ and what that's going to be like. They had some questions then. He wanted to get them established in the gospel, established in their faith, firm in their founding, for there was pressure coming. Obviously, pressure had chased Paul and his cohorts out of there, right? So there was pressure there. And he said, I want to make sure you're established, but now I want to correct or clarify a few things about the return of Christ. One of them being, it has not already happened. We're going to find this out in the letter, but there was, I think, a little bit of idea that with the pressure coming, which felt a lot like God's judgment, and when they understood what the end was going to be like, what they were teaching and hearing from people, they thought, maybe we missed it. When, God, when, when Paul said that when Jesus comes back, our dead, our, those dead in Christ are going to raise, they're going to be gone, maybe we missed it. And he, and he says, no, 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 no. It has not happened yet. In fact, I want to make sure to clarify that before that, there is a man of lawlessness. And I'm going to leave a lot of this stuff, of course, until we get there. But there's a man of lawlessness that's going to come. And by evidence of the words, I think there's a, there's a, now, I don't know that Paul would have used this word because I don't know that he really used this word. But there's a, there's a global, a more global picture of this man of lawlessness and, and what's going to be happening with the deception and the, and the falling away from God in the last time before Jesus comes back. So he's giving them some correction, some clarity, some comfort, I think, too. But particularly, Paul is interested in helping them understand what they should do while they're waiting. What should they do while they're waiting? Now, I think this is, I can sum this up in two very brief phrases. The first is they should stand firm. And the second is they should not be idle. It illuminates his concern was that perhaps they're not standing firm, that perhaps they're being moved by these worries that maybe it's already happened. Maybe this pressure is, is indication of God's judgment and God's judgment is resting on them and they missed the whole, the whole Jesus coming back thing. Or maybe they were so convinced that Jesus is gonna come back any moment that there were some who said, we're not doing anything anymore. We're gonna sit in our house. We're gonna wait for this day to come because it's right around the corner. You should know, by the way, that that was the kind of teaching that they were probably hearing. That Jesus' return is right around the corner. I would say not mistakenly so. I would say that should still be the teaching you are to be hearing. That Jesus' return is right around the corner. It's, 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 it's coming. It's right there. Now, don't be idle while that happens. Well, we're going to move on because I think the, the heart or the meat of what we want to be in this morning is in the next two verses, actually. So the first pair of words was grace and peace. And the second pair of words are faith and love. Now, I want you to listen. I don't know if it helps you to do this or not, but if it would help you to close your eyes and listen, that would be fine. If you really want to follow along, you can. But I want to read verse 3 again. I'm going to put it on the screen as well. But I want to read verse 3 again because I want you to hear the rich and the strong words that Paul uses. The, 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 the depth, the, the amount of, of depth and, and, and weight that Paul is giving to these words. Listen to what he says. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Now, wait a minute. 
I just showed you a slide that said that this letter was meant to correct or clarify a few things. And I stand by that. We're going to get to that. But I want you to see something important. Before Paul gets to any of that clarification stuff, before he gets to anything that we might even get close to calling correction of any kind, he has some words of praise for them. Now, I want you to see something too. Because when I say he has words of praise for them, he does. But notice where he's directing his attention to, the glory to. Who gets the credit? You see, this is very important, right? Because we have to learn how to do both of those things. We have to learn how to praise and exhort and encourage one another with words that are strong and powerful of the good things that God is doing in people's lives. We have to know how to do that because it's really good for us to hear that encouragement from each other. But we also have to know how to, at the same time, make sure that God is getting all the credit because that's who's doing the good work in you. We ought always to give thanks to God. He's like, this, I'm compelled. We must always give thanks. And he says even later, as is right. In other words, it's like a double on top of each. He's like, I'm compelled and I know that it's the right thing to do. I can't help myself to, but giving thanks to God. Why? For their faith and their love. Their faith that is growing abundantly. Love those words. Their faith that is growing abundantly. There's fruit coming out. There's growth happening. It's exploding everywhere. Their faith that is growing abundantly and the love that they have for each other that is increasing. I would take your mind right back to last week when Brother Chris preached an incredible good message on the gospel of Jesus Christ and what's most important. And we boiled it down. We heard it again this morning from Jerry. Uh, we boiled it down to we are to love God and love others. And look at those two themes represented there, right? Your faith is growing abundantly. That's this kind of thing, right? Your trust in God. That seed that was planted is giving forth fruit. That seed that may have started small, that seed that may have started so small that I was concerned about it and sent Timothy back to make sure you really had, had been established or really were getting gripped into the gospel. And look what's happening. It's flourishing. It's growing abundantly. And by the way, the love that every one of you has for one another is also increasing. Each one having love for each one of the other people. What a beautiful picture what a beautiful picture of what God intends the body of Christ to be like. Again, I don't know if this happens to you. Maybe you're not as weird as I am about this stuff. But, but I don't, it just, it, I, I'm astounded at the simplicity of God's word in one sentence just painting this big picture of what this is supposed to be like, right? There's all kinds of detail in there if you're willing to set, take time and look into it. Your faith is growing abundantly. There's, it's like there's, there's a fertilizer there and the ground is being worked and the weeds are being pulled and it's, the sunlight's coming and the rain's coming. Notice both are coming, right? Because that's what brings abundant growth. That's what allows the growth to come and to be fruitful and to flourish and to be abundant in its growth. I want you to notice a couple of things. We'll make a couple connections back to 1 Thessalonians. Do you remember a prayer that Paul offered? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he offers this prayer. He says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This was his powerful prayer. We spent time with that. You can go back and reread or re-listen to that message if you care to. Reread those verses if you want to. But this was a prayer that he was praying for them at the time. And do you remember how he closed the letter? His benediction. Remember how he, what he said? He said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Right? I want you to see that not only is Paul in this verse that we're talking about in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, not only is he just sort of giving thanks and saying this is a good thing that's happening, but he's wanting to be very specific. God has answered my prayer. I've been praying, and God has answered my prayer. I prayed that your love would abound for each other. I prayed that your faith would be established. I prayed that you would be blameless in holiness when Christ returns. And I prayed that you would realize, and I exhorted you to realize, that it's God who's going to be doing that work in you. And what is he doing now? He's reinforcing that. By the way, I heard your faith is growing abundantly. It's growing abundantly. It's, it's pouring out of the cracks everywhere. And I love hearing that. I heard that your love for each other is increasing. It's getting stronger and stronger. Even when, despite the pressure, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but despite the pressure coming, it's getting stronger for each other. You're not bailing on each other. You're not saying, this is too hard, I'm out. Or you're not throwing each other under the bus to save your own skins. You're saying, we're together. I love this brother. I love this sister. They're part of us. And he's saying, by the way, when I say very clearly I ought to give thanks to God for that, that it's God who's surely doing this work in you. And I'm so thankful. Now, let me very briefly step out of the text of 2 Thessalonians, written to the Thessalonian believers in 50 AD, 51 or 52 AD, I'm not sure exactly. And let me step into today on this, this stage, this part right here, this audience I have right here today. It is one of my privileges I've known this for a long time. I re-realized it on our sabbatical. It is one of my privileges to teach to a body of believers who are engaged and want to grow in their faith, who don't mind being challenged, who, in fact, thank me when I say difficult things that steps on their toes. I've preached in lots of places. And I've preached many times in places where people's eyes are down or their heads are down or they're looking somewhere else or they're staring off into space or they may be looking at me but there's like this look, this glazed. Very rarely have I preached in places, I'm being very honest with you. I'm being completely 100% honest with you. Very rarely have I preached in places where I can make eye contact with almost 90% of the congregation as I'm preaching. And I know they're looking back at me and they're leaning forward and they're opening their Bibles and they're looking. I thank my God as I ought to for a group of believers that has faith that wants to be growing and is growing. And when that happens, our love for one another increases. We all have, we have rough spots, right? We have things that go off the rails sometimes. But our love for one another increases, and that's how it ought to be. So thank you. Thank you that I can say the same words Paul says. I ought to always give thanks to God, for this is right. That your faith is growing abundantly and your love for one another is increasing. Now, Paul isn't done yet. If you think that's, well, maybe, hold on, let me, let me, let me stop here. I was going to move on, and I, I, I don't want to. Because while I say those things, I also have to turn that into an exhortation then. I have to exhort each of us, myself included. This happened to me when I was sitting at my desk this week, and I believe now I need to do with all of you. Is that this would truly become the cry of our heart, that our faith is growing abundantly. 
You see, that's meaning we're casting off the deception that we can kind of coast or that we are done growing or that we don't need to anymore or that we can just rest on our laurels for a while or we've done a lot of growing recently so we're probably good for, for a good little bit or maybe it's getting to be pretty hard or it's pretty difficult or there's those last little pieces that we just don't want to give up to the Lord. May it be the cry of our hearts to be called ever inward, ever higher, ever closer to God and our Lord Jesus Christ, that our faith would grow abundantly, that our love for each other would increase. I'm sure it's not perfected yet, right? I appreciate a brother who came up this morning and talked about how God is working on his life in that regard and how he, what he, how he thinks about other people and how he feels when he hears their voice or, or hears, gets a text message or, or thinks about them in any kind of way. And I would be naive to believe that those things don't exist within this body as well. So we're not there yet. But may we, with Paul's words, be encouraged and exhorted. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In some sense, can I just say this? In some sense, you've heard about three different variations of it, but it's the same thing. Jerry talked about it. Chris talked about it. I'm talking about it. Dominic was talking about it. You've heard of this, but it's the same thing. Is our heart inclined to a position where we want to grow in the Lord and grow closer to him and grow closer or grow more, be more consumed or be increasing in our love for each other? These are the things that Paul thanked God for, the Thessalonian believers. Let's go on. Grace and peace. Faith and love, and now in verse four, we see this pair of words. You see the same kind of word, by the way, the same word, but I think it means something different in this case. Steadfastness and faith. Steadfastness and faith. Let's just read the verse. Verse four says, therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Now, once again, we, we can't like, we can't just like whoosh past all this stuff, right? Notice, Paul doesn't just say, I'm thanking God for you. I'm encouraging. I'm saying a nice thing about you. I'm praising you. He actually says, I actually go out there and I boast about you. I tell other churches, look at this. Look at this church over here. Think of Matthew chapter 31, verse 31 and 32, where Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. It starts really small, right? But eventually it grows bigger than all the other plants into a tree where all the birds come and roost. What can that be except an illustration of what Paul is pointing to here? He says, listen, there was a seed of faith. It started really small. In fact, I was concerned about it. I sent, I sent back to, to try to make sure that you were established in the gospel. I sent my letter giving encouragement. And now I'm hearing that faith took root. It's growing. And it's growing so abundantly. And your love is increasing so much that now it has become the place of roosting for others. That we can point and say, look at those believers and how God is working in them. You know, we don't often use the word boast. Paul actually was not afraid of using that word. He says, I will boast all the more gladly, but I will boast in what God has done, not in me. He says, I am boasting. We are boasting about you in the churches. Why? For your steadfastness, your patience, your endurance. The Greek word is hupamane, for staying under. For staying under. Under what? Under persecutions and afflictions, under pursuit 
and pressure, if you want to put those two words in there, because that's what those two words mean. Pursuit is persecution, and affliction is pressure. Thlipsis, pressure. Your steadfastness in the face of those things. You see, the faith he mentions in the second set here, steadfastness and faith, is not the kind of faith in the first verse. It's the same word, and they're related, make no mistake. But the faith in the first verse he's referring to is the faith that is the kind of faith that is the reception of the gospel, receiving, putting your faith in Jesus Christ, and letting that gospel flourish inside of you. In the second use here, in the second verse here, in verse 4, the steadfastness and faith, this is now not that kind of faith. It's the faith that continues trusting God in the face of pursuit and pressure. It's the faith that continues enduring and staying in and not being moved when there's all kinds of pressure to move you. I remind you again, it's the very thing Paul exhorted them to in his first letter. He said, I sent Timothy to you to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. It's the kind of faith, it's the little seed that may start so little, but when we let it flourish, when we let God's grace and peace, the, the source of that, the, blow, the wind blow on that little seed and to grow it and to grow it and to grow it, it's the kind of faith that allows us to believe that in the face of persecution and afflictions, we can move closer to God, not further away from him. Now, that's a very difficult thing. It's a very difficult thing because let's be honest, our selfish tendency is that when we undergo any kind of affliction or persecution, we automatically begin to start blaming God. If we don't even go so far as to say, you're responsible, we do go so far as often to say, you're allowing it, which is true. But in that way, we're casting blame on him, depending on where our heart is at. So the faith, the steadfastness that allows us to say, I can move I can be moved closer to God through pressure and pursuit rather than moved further away from God. This is, by the way, a theme well present in Scripture. In fact, not only does it say that you can learn to deal with or you can learn to stay under or you can learn to sort of plant your feet and have the kind of faith that says, Lord, help me. with." You, not only can you learn to do that, you can learn to recognize Afflictions and persecutions and trouble and trials for what it really is. The very tool God has put in your life to help you grow and become more holy and Christ-like. Don't believe me? Listen to these kinds of words. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to these wonderful words of receiving faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Wonderful sounding words, but look at what comes right on its heels. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, there's that word, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And Paul's not the only guy to talk about it. Flip over to a guy called James. He's got a short little letter in there full of all kinds of wisdom, and he opens it up with a bang. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's that word, steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
The writer of Hebrews got in on this, this game, which you may not think is a very fun game, but this game of helping us see that pressure and pursuit, afflictions and persecutions, that trials, that difficulties are actually good for us in our Christian walk. Look at what he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, after you came to faith, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and listen to these words, Americans, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And he says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. There's that word. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For, and he quotes, yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. End quote. Verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Once again, church, I can tell you, I can step out of these pages and I can tell you, it is my privilege and I have done so very often. The thing I just praised you for and thanked you for, thank God for that's true in this church. I have, I have boasted about you in many, in many different places. I have boasted about the things I've experienced. I have boasted with lines like, I feel like for much of my pastoral ministry, I have been in what many would call the honeymoon phase. We've had some difficulties. Of recent, we've definitely had some difficulties. But that only stands to put in contrast how incredible the first 10 years of my ministry were in this church. And I talk about you in other places, and I say it with good things. I don't talk bad things about you. I say good things because they're true, because it is my privilege, and you have helped me grow. You've been so loving, so full of grace. I know I make a lot of mistakes. I know I do a lot of things that aren't maybe how you would like them to be. But you've given me grace over and over again. I can agree with Paul. But once again, I can turn that right around into an exhortation. Because I also know that the pursuit and the pressure, the persecution, the trials, the difficulties, I know they're there. And I know that they're only ramping up. God's word says that's exactly how it's going to be in the end. Things will go from bad to worse. Hard to difficult. Some pressure, extreme pressure. So my exhortation is, may we find ourselves, may we not rest on our laurels for hearing words and say, ah, good, we've, we've displayed steadfastness. We've displayed some faith in the middle of some pressure. That's great, and you have. But we're not stopping. We're not done. The Lord isn't done with us. The enemy isn't done with what he'd like to do to us. Let's continue in steadfastness and in faith. I find another pertinent passage as we round this out, as we come to an end here. I find another pertinent passage, again from the Gospels, again in the vein of where we started with the seed of faith that grows into a big tree that can flourish and have abundance. When the disciples came to Jesus one day, this is in Luke chapter 17, they said this. Lord, increase our faith. I'm struck. I'm struck at maybe how often we read past those words. I'm struck at how often we assume they had it all together. We know they didn't. We know we have to, but, but I'm struck at how often we read past those words for the, for the 
the importance, the weight they carry for us as followers of Jesus today. How often do you turn to the Lord and say, oh Lord, increase my faith. Help my faith. Help it to stand strong and firm. Help me to be steadfast. Help me to resist the pressure and the persecution. You know what Jesus said after that? Let me just read it for you. It's not on the screen. In verse six, the Lord said, if you had faith, listen to this, like a grain of mustard seed. He goes right back to the same example that I talked about in the very opening verses. If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. In some sense this morning, brothers and sisters, as we are transitioning from 1 Thessalonians to 2 Thessalonians, one of the things we're seeing, one of the, one of the beauties of getting a first and a second, one of, the, one of the good things about getting a first and a second in the New Testament is that we get to witness the reality of a seed of faith being planted, of bringing forth fruit and it growing. Notice it doesn't mean there doesn't need clarification or any correction still. There's still a letter, right? It doesn't mean any of that. Because it, but it indicates to us that what God starts in little things in us, he wants to keep growing and growing and growing and growing and bring forth abundance. That our love for each other is increasing. Our faith is growing abundantly. That we're able to stand firm and be steadfast in the face of persecution and affliction. That our faith would help us stand strong. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. I'm sure we're all over the place on, in that scale of how strong and firm we're feeling. But no matter where we find ourselves on that scale of steadfastness, if I can use that word, no matter where we find ourselves, I can take great joy in encouraging you that Jesus said those words. And it just takes a little grain of mustard seed. It doesn't take much. That's an indication that if we will but trust in God, God is very powerful and very able to do what he does, if we will but trust him, if we will but lean on him, if we will but let go of what we want to try to control and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, I ask for the seed of faith. I ask, first of all, for it to be planted among us. I ask for that seed of faith, that little grain of mustard seed to be sowed liberally here among this group of followers of Jesus Christ. I thank you that for many that seed has been planted and has brought fruit, has, brought, has, has sprouted. I thank you for the clear exhortation. I couldn't have planned it any better. I didn't plan it. You did it, God. But I thank you for the clear exhortation this morning given by a brother during sharing time that if we have not received the seed of faith and allowed it to be planted and give sprout, give growth in our own hearts, that today is the day to do that. I thank you for last week who brought us right to that table and here we are again. So God, we ask... We ask that that seed of faith sown liberally here might take root in our hearts. We ask, God, that if that seed of faith has taken root, that there might be growth there. We fully are aware, we don't have time to, to talk about every option this morning, but we're fully aware, God, that that may mean that there's some hoeing that has to happen. There's some weeds that have to be pulled. There's some hard ground that has to be broken up. Maybe that means some rain has to fall. Maybe that means some sun has to come. We submit to you, the master gardener, to know what it takes to bring forth fruit, but God, we would pray for growth, for growth from that seed of faith. We would pray that we might do that so that we might be a faithful and effective witness. 
And we pray especially this morning, Father, for those who are standing in a place of pressure or pursuit or trial, affliction of some kind, that that faith, that seed of faith would indeed be enough to carry them through. That you, God, would come for grace and peace come from you. That you would come with grace and peace. That you would enable them to endure. And not just endure, but to thrive, to grow closer to you. To become the channel through which your grace and peace flow to others around. In fact, the beacon of light shining for someone else who may be struggling. Lord, this isn't too much to ask for you, but we require your grace, your effective working grace, your Holy Spirit for it to be true of us. For we are frail and weak. We're selfish and self-important. We are averse to pain. We don't like being crossed. We don't like being wronged. We don't like being treated unfairly. We're sorry for the sinfulness in us that causes us to cast off the very work that you want to do in us. Oh, God, give us grace. Oh, God, grant us peace. Grant us the faith and love for each other. Grant us the steadfastness to stand firm and the faith that endures, to which we are eternally grateful to you for. In Jesus' name.